0: Jorofsky show for this Thursday, August 10th starts now on today's show. Ace attorney Jim Coogan stops by to talk Trump, talk the law and to talk about his new podcast. The Ben Jorofsky show is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for everything there is to know in the city of Chicago where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, and a whole lot more. And if you're looking for more Ben Jarofsky after this show, he's there too. Just go to chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. That's J-O-R-A,
1: B is in victory, S-K-Y. Hello again, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Brandon Tried Thursday, and here's why. All right, we're about to take a deep dive with Ace Attorney Jim Coogan on the crimes of Trump. I've been waiting to do this show for about two weeks now. But before I do that, I have to take a mini deep dive into something that's on my mind. i talked about this in the past, and this has to do with mainstream Chicago taking a page from the MAGA playbook. And the MAGA playbook, which is really the began as the Republican playbook, but it's just been mastered by MAGA, is to approach politics the way LeBron James approaches basketball. And I've talked about this before. I'll repeat it again, because a lot of you folks aren't basketball fans. LeBron James is the greatest basketball player in the NBA, arguably the second greatest player of all time. There are people coming to the show and say he's the greatest player of all time. I'm not going to get into that right now. But if he has one thing that's annoying, it's his tendency to cry about every call that goes against him by a referee. It's called working the refs. So there's this clip right now of LeBron James where somebody is like, they barely, I don't even think they touch his jaw, but it looks like they may have touched his jaw and he falls back. He he falls back like Tim Anderson in uh, in the Cleveland game. Jim Coogan knows what I'm talking about. Every White Sox fan's a little ashamed of Tim Anderson. A phantom punch, he's all of a sudden knocked out. Anyway, he falls back like it's the most brutal attack in the world. He didn't get the call then, but maybe he'll get the call the next time when he whines and cries. That's what MAGA's been doing for the last 20 years, and now Mainstream Chicago has started it. I've been watching this ever since Brandon Johnson was victorious over uh, MAGA Lite, Paul Vallis in the uh, last election. Mainstream Chicago has been working the refs, trying to pretend as though Mayor Brandon Johnson is somehow or other a dangerous lefty. (laughs) A dangerous, scary lefty, a product of the evil Chicago Teachers Union. That's how they play it. And so now there's a story in the Sun-Times. Nothing can be done in a single year. It's about a, a France Spielman interview with, um, who is it? It's the chief operating officer, John Robertson, of the uh, Brandon Johnson administration. But the theme of the article is somehow or other, downtown Chicago business interests are very concerned about Brandon Johnson. Will he go too far? Will he be anti-business? The man has got to be the most, he's the fairest mayor I've ever seen. He is so nice to the downtown business community. It's unbelievable. No mayor that preceded him has ever been even remotely similarly, what, receptive to the left in this town. Mayor Lori Lightfoot gave a big middle finger to the left almost from the day she walked into office and kept it there the whole four years. Mayor Rahm despised the left. God forbid he put anyone resembling a lefty in his administration. He hated the left. When the hunger strikers went on strike for a new school, diet school on the south side, he wouldn't even meet with the hunger strikers. They were like the, – they were pleading with them. There were people pleading with him meet with the hunger strikers so he could find some accord that they'll stop their strike and maybe they won't seriously hurt themselves. No, he hated the left. And Mayor Richard M. Daley, I don't think he hated the left with as much vehemence as Rom did, but he certainly didn't invite them in. It was very much – a centrist, middle of the road, taking care of the business community, he put business community leaders on all the major boards, he relied on them, he trusted them, they ruined the Board of Education with their insane public financing uh, schemes. But they, we just all went along with that. And so here we got Brandon Johnson, he's bending over backward, I just quickly jotted down uh, some of the ways he's bent over backward to be conciliatory to mainstream to Chicago. Look, we talk about it at the time, he met with Mayor Rahm and set out the lovely little tweet. Remember that? Uh, he, uh, he indulges Sterling Bay, the big time developer with Lincoln Yards. Like, he, they're like, he listens to their concerns, you know, and there's a possibility that the Chicago Teachers Pension Fund may bail out Lincoln Yards. I'm saying, don't do it teachers, don't do it. But there's a possibility. And he's been nicer to them than Lori Lightfoot was. That's for certain. Uh, and um, just he's po- appointed uh, uh, significant business leaders to his boards. He goes. He's met with Alderman uh, Gil Vargas. Went to his uh, fundraiser. a Very centrist uh, Alderman. This guy has like, oh my goodness, a lollapalooza welcoming lollapalooza to Chicago. You know, this is what makes you. That is like, they just took away the park. <laughs> For Lollapalooza, oh, we welcome you to Lollapalooza. Just letting everybody know it's going to be business as usual. These are things that we all, even this lefties, we understand, yeah, he's got to do it. He's got to play nice. He's the mayor of the whole city. He's not a lefty mayor. We all kind of understand that because I guess lefties are more grown up uh, than the business community. But this, this game that the business community is playing, you know, we really want to get a hold of it. Read Greg Hines, my own poker playing pal in, the, uh, in cranes, Oh, he's crying. Oh God, he's so mean! And then they they find some downtown alderman interview. Will be sobbing. I don't know what they make this stuff up. It's called playing the refs, ladies and gentlemen. And that's what's going on in the city of Chicago as we head into the budget season, which is where it's all going to come down. What will that budget do? And who will win? And what programs will get financed? And who's going to pick up the tab? And what's it going to do the property taxes? Uh, what's he, what's he going to do with the police budget, et cetera, and so forth. That will be, that's a fight further down the road, like in September and October. Uh, but right now the whining has begun as the business community takes a page for MAGA trying to play the ref with their little sobbing. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to bring on Jim Coogan. He's been patiently sitting through this eagerly awaiting an opportunity to update us on the crimes of Trump. Ace attorney, Jim Coogan, welcome back to the show.
2: Hey Ben. It's good to see you.
1: Yes. And uh, before we get into the crimes of Trump, a little news on the Jim Coogan front. Uh, Jim Coogan cut a deal with my dear friend, Dr. D, uh, producer Dennis uh, and producer Chris. Uh, So why don't you tell folks uh, what's going on? Jim Coogan has an announcement to make. Go ahead, Jim.
2: I do. I am in good hands with producers extraordinaire, uh, Dennis and Chris. And I'll give a little shout out to their new side project, Ear for Audio, because those good people have walked me through the first stages of launching my own podcast. Uh, so this is a chance to, to sort of announce that to the world. It's called Coogan Knows the Law. We dropped this week. And uh, just to give everybody a little description, if you like these kind of shows, where Ben and I talk about legal implications of big news, We're going to have some shows like that so far. The first few episodes are actually even more straightforward and simpler. Just it's me explaining some simple points of law um, in very, what I hope to be digestible format that people can kind of just get 10 minutes or so of explaining some little thing. What's the difference between a criminal case and a civil case? What's a deposition? What's a witness? Uh, What kinds of witnesses are there? So little things like that. And then we'll probably also have some interviews. I might have to, uh, uh hassle our our chicago and worldwide famous host here for an interview at some point if i can get him uh i know he's got a busy schedule running first tuesdays writing his column doing these shows but maybe i can even uh, wrestle a little bit of ben Drosky's time for an interview at some point on coogan knows the law one more time for everybody
1: yeah no it'd be fun i'm a, I'm obsessed with tv law shows i've told you this, in the past. this is interesting about jim coogan I guess you're just tired of doing law, uh, practicing it, thinking about it, writing about it, talking about it. When it comes to watching on a TV, I notice you're not a big fan of these uh, TV law shows. The Lincoln Lawyer, utterly obsessed with The Lincoln Lawyer. Uh, I read all the uh, Mickey Holler uh, Lincoln Lawyer books written by uh, uh, Michael Connolly. Before that, I was uh, The Good Fight, utterly obsessed with The Good Fight. Uh, so I'll come on your show, but you'll have an assignment. You'll have to watch one of these shows. And then we critique, uh, like how, how realistic they are in terms of the legal arguments. They, they can, da- I think I told you this, the good fight, which I'm, I really recommend to all my listeners, particularly the boomers out there. I think it's just so it was made for boomers. Jim, you're not a boomer. You're too young, way too young to be a boomer. You're a millennial, but uh, it's it's just this great it's just an old fashioned courtroom show uh and I would love to get your thoughts on like how accurate you know I know they condense like a trial will drag on forever, but for the sake of dramatic purposes, like the judge will ask the the lawyer, you have to come back to court in an hour with like a brief written you know and and they're like completely when they return their brief is written. They're arguing as though they've done a deposition in that hour. You know, it's totally unrealistic on that front. But beyond that, just like, would love to get you to do a show. And so there, I'm already giving you an assignment.
2: I'm not uh, even I'm not even in charge of this particular episode. I guess I just wrote it for us. <laughs> but listen, I used to love watching Law and & Order. And okay. you're actually, your timing is great because I was just reading an article. I didn't finish it the other night. But it was about the producer of the good wife. And it's I guess the same guy who's doing the Lincoln lawyer. And actually the essence of this article was about his desire to make it realistic.
1: Yes. I read so the same I, article. I've seen,
2: yeah. I think I've seen a couple of the, the the you're talking about the series on Netflix. I've seen a couple of those episodes. And I actually I agree with you. The Mickey Haller character is great. I listened to a couple of those books on tape. I think I listened to the Lincoln Lawyer as a book on tape once, and maybe one of the other ones. Those were great. I mean it is dramatized, but they're very entertaining, and those are good characters, and they're interesting stories.
1: Yeah, no, I uh, the Lincoln Lawyer. Uh, so, folks, you know, there's there's the TV show that I, that we're talking about, which is a Netflix series. It's in year two, uh, and then there's a movie, The Lincoln Lawyer, which I've seen three times. I love it. Matthew McConaughey plays of the Lincoln Lawyer. He it's not Matthew McConaughey in the uh, TV show, right. uh, and it's a totally different vibe. The movie from. Uh, the TV show, and then there's the books, the series. I think there's five novels that Connolly's written. Uh, I'm obsessed with the Lincoln Lawyer. He's named the Lincoln Lawyer because he doesn't have a conventional law uh, office. He operates from the back of a Lincoln Continental uh, that he is chauffeured around LA in by uh, whichever former client still owes him money because that's how they. It's like a barter system. He defends them. Like a lot of his clients can't afford to pay him. Right. Uh, I wonder if Trump's worked out a deal like this with his lawyers where uh, the lawyer <laughs> Trump is driving the lawyer. Can you imagine that? The- Trump is driving the lawyer around in lieu of payment. Hey, listen, uh, he was the one who wanted
2: to grab the wheel on January 6th he- and drive himself to the Capitol building. So that's he's not. Uh, he just misses the days that he wasn't being chauffeured around.
1: I am the walking podcaster. So before we get to it, I'll just close by this. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, so in the Lincoln lawyer, uh, Mickey Hollow, the lawyer, does his business from the backseat of a Lincoln Continental as he's being schlepped around. I am always going for walks with my cell phone and cutting deals with various uh, guests. I book guests. I do pre-shows, post-shows, and while I'm walking down the street. So I'm the walking podcaster. There's a Netflix show for you. All right, Jim. Wow. The last time we were on the show, we broke down the uh, classified document case, I think. We took the deep dive on that. Uh, since you've been on the show, there has been uh, a subsequent indictment uh, in the January 6th insurrection case. Uh, Jack Smith, again, the prosecutor, and all stuff. Forget, we had a previous show, we broke down uh, the case in New York paying hush money uh, to. Um, Uh, stormy daniels Uh, so donald trump very interesting to put it mildly uh president the ex-president never quite seen a president like donald trump or an ex-president like uh donald trump uh why don't you give us uh do a little update on the um the case uh regarding the insurrection you sent me a mem uh, a story yesterday i think it was the cheese barrel memo um which kind of lays out exactly what uh, Trump's strategy was uh, to uh, snatch the election from Joe Biden. So take it away with the update.
2: Well, the indictment came down last week, and then we were treated with this really interesting breaking news that many people who were following the story were already aware that a constitutional scholar slash professor named John Eastman had previously authored I guess a legal styled memo to describe aspects of the constitution and the electoral count act and walk through them and describe kind of ways that they could be manipulated including to try to incorporate the vice president's role in counting the electoral college votes on what is always that day following the election so january 6th so that was a memo we knew about previously that eastman had put this together What we didn't know, it had not been released publicly before, was that another lawyer that I think his his last name is pronounced Cheesebro was even more explicit. And I I, I honestly, I don't understand why criminal conspirators write things down this way when in this particular case, he, according to the reporting on what is in this memo, uh, actually outlined that what they're proposing wasn't even consistent with the law, that in his theory, even the Supreme Court wouldn't go along with what they were attempting to do. In fact, the whole purpose of it really wasn't legal. The Cheeseboro Memo was not... Let's let's separate the two. The Eastern Memo was sort of like the legal um, cover, if you want to put things in legalistic terms. And And let's be clear all of the the things that have happened since the lead up to the 2020 election and the following efforts to subvert the constitution and keep the former president in power they've all been of a piece in that they have attempted to use legal levers that exist and pretend as if those legal levers are being used properly but in fact they're not the the efforts to propose fake false electors who were just going to sign their names and say, we're the electors and we're the Trump electors and we're submitting Pennsylvania's votes or Michigan's votes or Georgia's votes. Um, None of it's real, but these were, that was like, so Eastman was trying to create the legal cover for it. Cheeseboro is much more factual and strategic. And what I was just describing a moment ago, the part where he mentions that he doesn't even think the Supreme court would agree with their interpretation of the law He points out that it doesn't matter because the purpose is actually just to string things along and create doubt and create doubt in the minds of people and create doubt in the electorate in in the actual uh, outcome of the election so that people do have enough doubt. And in that moment of doubt, if you're the one who holds those levers of power, gives them an opportunity to hold on to it, which was also outlined in the indictment in Washington, D.C. against the former president including these notes that the very disturbing notes about, well, what if they're, what if people are up in arms? What if there's uprisings in the streets? Because people know that he didn't win the election. And the reaction to that was quoted in the, the indictment as being, that's what the insurrection act is for, which I've heard, you know, if if you haven't heard this already listeners, this is really critical. That invocation by a Trump colleague and co-conspirator that the insurrection act could be deployed if people rose up and demonstrated and were reasonably upset that Donald Trump was illegally holding on to the the presidency and subverting the Constitution. That implies that they would have used the American military in those streets to put down Americans. I don't know if that means kill them, arrest them, or what. But there's a lot. This gets into a whole separate conversation about the Posse Comitatus Act and not allowing the American military to operate in the streets for a variety of reasons. I think it just sort of looks bad when you're invading your own country. But the Cheeseboro memo, as he originally asked the question,
1: was really. I just really, before you go into the Cheeseboro memo, just to point out the insurrections, insurrectionists in quotes, that uh, Trump's people were proposing to send the military to quell were not the actual insurrectionists who overtook uh, the Capitol. So this is part of like this plot, this plan. These would be the people. Like lefties, liberals, uh, the women march type.
2: Everybody who marched on the women's
1: march. Yeah, all those people. All those people who showed up in uh, on a, a inauguration day in night in 2017 uh, to march against Trump and let the world know that there was opposition in this country to the Trump administration. These would presumably be the people who would take to the streets to protest if Donald Trump successfully convinced uh, Mike Pence to turn the election over to Donald Trump, take it away from uh, to take it away from Biden. And these would be the people that Donald Trump would then send the military, the army into the street to round up. Correct, Jim?
2: That's right it would be probably you and me and maybe Chris and Dennis and (laughs) most of the people we know and everybody else who thinks either A, they voted for Joe Biden or B, whether they voted or not, they know that he won and would rather keep the constitutional order for the United States that we all, at least most people I know, claim to be patriotic citizens of rather than a naked power grab, which is what they were attempting. So then the rest of that naked power grab was outlined in this memo. And what fascinates me is why people who are conspiring like this, why do they write it down? I I don't know if he doesn't think that someone's, they're just never going to find it. Investigators won't find this. And then as I thought about that this week, because that popped into my head, what could the man have been thinking? I guess he just assumed he wouldn't be caught. I, I guess he assumed that they would just do it and get away with it. And it wouldn't make any difference at that point. Because once you get that investigation started, once they find that document, him writing down, I'm a lawyer, I'm offering this thing that I am explicitly saying is a contrary to the law. He can never argue that he didn't believe that it was, or that he believed it was legal. He wrote it down that he knew it was illegal. Yeah. And the whole purpose of it was to create distraction and to create chaos. And then in the midst of that chaos, he outlined the rest of the plan, which included, I think they even refer to them as Fake electors. I mean, they know that these weren't real people. In fact, there's there the rest of the reporting is fascinating where some of these electors were hesitant about signing their name to something and got tricked into it by telling them, oh, no, 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 we're not really going to use these unless we really have to or, you know, unless there's some whatever other things happen, because some of them realized this is completely insane. And it's not real. They know that he didn't win. Wisconsin they know we didn't win Michigan those people still showed up at the Michigan ca- or at the uh, the Capitol uh, in Lansing Michigan pretending like they should be let in there was there's I think there was video of that they videoed themselves being turned away by a security guard back in uh, in the, whatever December of 2020 so he writes these things down including the use of the fake electors including the use of delay tactics in the Senate and then prodding former Vice President Pence to either choose the other electors or just to buy more time before they could come up with some. Remember there was also this implication or uh, attempt to delay things for 10 days. That was Ted Cruz's effort Mm. as of even January 6th. I think he was still on that note even after they shut things down for several hours and resumed the count at two or three o'clock in the morning. Uh, He still wasn't backing off the, uh, Demanding that the Senate put this off for ten days and study things and and have some kind of a hearing or something like that, uh, but in the in the midst of all this, the whole point of it obviously was that if you don't actually certify Joe Biden's success, successful winning of the election and he isn't seated as president or you know in anticipation of two weeks later January twentieth being sworn in, then. Who knows? You just, you know, now all of a sudden, what Trump is the temporary president or indefinitely he's acting president. And after that, they would just help. They would have just held on to power and then come up with other legal justifications and try to make court ca- challenges to say that there was some kind of confusion, which is, again, that's why even to this day, you have so many dishonest claims that there were things wrong with the 2020 election. Some of the people, even Ron DeSantis, backed off the other day. Now he's claiming that he's always, uh, of course, he's always been saying that Joe Biden won. But I've always said you just can't change the rules in the middle of the game. Do do people not remember what happened in 2020? There was this whole (laughs) flu thing. The reason why there were drop boxes, the reason why they changed those laws wasn't because it was some sort of manipulation of counting of votes. It was to facilitate the transition in a democracy that requires people to actually vote in order to get to this still perverse thing that we have as electoral college. But regardless, it's as if that just never happened. They don't, they're just gonna pretend like we can't remember why there was anything unusual going on that year. So that's kind of where the cheese thing comes and meets the rest of the indictment document, which is very thorough, very detailed. And again, prosecutors write these things when they know they have this evidence cold. They have statements. They have grand jury testimony, they have documents. Mm-hmm. It's These aren't allegations that they're just gonna be unable to prove.
1: All right, you mentioned, you referred to the openness of it all. Like, so here they are, they're, they're uh, plotting and planning uh, to snatch the presidency uh, from Joe Biden, but they're kind of open about it. I'd love for you to talk about this. I mean, this is characteristic in many ways of Donald Trump. Uh, I hesitate to say I find it refreshing, but I'm trying to think of the right word to describe it. He he he's in some ways very transparent. Just uh, like so, for instance, let's think about it the um, the documents case uh, where he took classified documents, he just took them, shared them with people, <laughs> talked about them, like showed people the documents, bragged about it. Uh, And then defied the feds when they came a calling for them. Uh, You and I have talked about this, the motive. I've I've just personally believe he wanted to extract something from the feds for the documents. Uh, He probably thought he could get money. He misread that Richard Nixon was case from way for many years before. But whatever his motive was, uh, he did not try to conceal the fact that he took the documents. Uh, So here we have the cheese barrel memo, which lays it all out, says, yeah, it's probably illegal. The Supremes will rule against us. But by that time, uh, there'll be so much confusion in the country that we like nobody will know what is real anymore. Uh, And so we'll probably get to sneak through it. In other words, they just they don't care. This is something about Donald Trump. He says what he's going to do. Like when he said, I'm never, or it was Bannon who actually said it. He's just never going to admit that he lost, which is what he did in 2016 as well. And then he does it. And then people, oh, my God, I'm shocked. He's doing, well, he told you he was going to do it. Uh, so talk about that, uh, Jim. I've never seen a, a person uh, under the spotlight, a defendant. And Donald Trump is now a defendant in three separate Cases uh, with a fourth in Georgia about to come, who is just so openly defiant of all, just the norms, the rules, the regulations, just the law itself—utter contempt. Never seen anything like it. Have you? That is the word. He—he,
2: it's—he is contemptuous of the rule of law. He's always been contemptuous of the rule of law. He doesn't believe rules apply to him. They, ne- I mean, in a lot of ways, they never have. He has he's one of those guys who was born on third base and thinks he hit a triple or actually he'll tell you a home run. And then you're like, <laughs> why are you still standing on third base? And then he'll lie to you and tell you that some other stupid story and it, it'll just be another lie. Yeah. So the, the, the problem with with that is none of his horrifying personal or business behavior has ever really come home to roost, whatever little piddling things that have happened along the way uh, he's skated past them for in well, Whether he threw money at it or finally just suffocated someone with litigation or, uh, you know, local prosecutors would just give up. You know, people forget his, his family, his kids were being prosecuted by Cyrus Vance when he was still the, the Manhattan prosecutor a few years ago. They just dropped the case. I don't know. He sent some lawyers over there who kissed up to the, the Manhattan DA and they just dropped the case. This is like in 2013 or 14 or something like that. Um, the privilege, you know, pretending like he's not privileged, pretending like he was a self-made man when he got at least 400 million dollars from his dad. it's meant that he's never had to deal with any of real challenges in life, but he'll he's so aggrieved personally and in his soul that that's that he just never stops talking about it. So when it comes to the rules, this is the real danger with someone like this. Um, it, it is a genuine contempt for any rules. For any laws that would get in the way of him doing whatever he wants. Now, if it was a matter of him enforcing rules on someone else, hey, he's happy to do that. And that's the same thing that where loyalty is a one-way street with him. We've seen this behavior, we've seen it, we've heard it. You know, um his former lawyer has talked about it endlessly. Um, that that Cohen, Michael Cohen, where it, it's 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 loyalty, he demands loyalty. Even the scintilla of of somehow questioning something that he did especially publicly because he lives on the public stage uh it's like you know you assume that like at night he goes and turns the light off and it's just like a robot that powers down until every all the cameras are on again because like what does he do privately everything has got to be public all the time with this guy but that's how the loyalty part of it is too he is disloyal to everyone throws everybody under the bus criticizes them to their face mean nasty horrible unfounded dishonest just we've, we've, we saw what happened in the E. Jean Carroll case. Uh, he gets the jury, the civil jury decides that he defamed her and he goes out and says the same things the next day. Um, so the rules are just, a; they're not even like a concept, which is difficult for me to understand as an attorney uh, because I, I think I'd like to think I live my life with a moral and ethic core regardless of that. But then also having learned how the rules actually work, I mean, part of why I was interested in becoming a lawyer in the first place was I got the, I started to understand, well, this is the system. So maybe if I go study the people who write the Constitution and the laws and all the cases that get filed and the people who are in legislatures now, you'll know how those rules actually work. So my curiosity was, how do they work? And then how can I go, you know, operate within that system and, you know, maybe one day be successful and try to be a good citizen and all those things. But for him, it's just he just bulldozes them over which coming back to square one when it comes to the constitution itself that's why at any point in time as, as long as he is still stalking around the edges of power in this country the constitution is in jeopardy the american way of life is in jeopardy because once you have one authoritarian it's not like you could just put that back in the bottle it could happen but i wouldn't assume so and it it, it's not good enough to just think. Well, maybe he'll he wouldn't last that long or something like that. Um, so, I've never. I mean, I, yes, actually, we have all seen it because we've seen it in other countries where someone ends up being president for life for forty years. And the but you know that you you also know all the malignancy that goes along with that. The way that people get treated, the way that the criminal laws get bent, as Putin would say, for my friends for for my enemies justice for my friends everything justice is just a weapon for someone like that and that's let's be honest i mean it's pretty clear that donald trump is envious of what vladimir putin has and sees that as a model for how he would like to operate if he were allowed to you talk about working the refs all we ever heard for four years while the guy's in power first (laughs) year's power he actually has both houses of congress and all he does is complain about the things they won't let him do and he, and he still has utter contempt for Mitch McConnell for not letting him just do whatever he wanted or passing even stupider things or letting him you know, destroy other parts of the government because McConnell's goals are not in line with Trump's goals, even though they're both part of the, the GOP you know, world and that side of things. So we've seen it, but we've never seen someone in America who had this much power. And at least, especially with the most famous and powerful Political leaders, they've either been men of slightly better faith, not like they're all a bunch of saints, or they got reined in at some point, like Richard Nixon did. And the only thing that reined Trump in was they literally pushed him out of office. I mean, he lost the election. He tried not to acknowledge that it happened. Now we're de- we're actually talking about the criminal cases surrounding that. But he would have stayed if he could, and he wasn't going to listen to. Barry Goldwater, whoever it was, that walked over to the, to the White House and told Nixon that he better resign or he's going to get not just impeached but convicted.
1: Uh, that was a great riff. I uh, let's leave the realm of the law for a moment and, and talk about uh, Trump's persona get your thoughts on this. There's an aspect of of Donald Trump and that persona and the caricature of Donald Trump, the defiant Donald Trump, the the the, the Donald Trump. Uh, that never admits that he was wrong, that always counterattacks, uh, that uh, thumbs his nose at authority, that I think is very appealing to a lot of people in this country, regardless of their political leanings. Regard So Donald Trump treats prosecutors the way I think a lot of people wish they could treat the law. I mean, just to, like, what he's doing, the preemptive strikes against... Uh, Fannie Willis in Georgia are just staggering. I've never seen anybody, he mocks her, he maligns her, he makes up stories about her, and she hasn't even filed, the charges have not been formally filed, the indictment has not been issued, it's just a preemptive strike. Uh, There's something very gangster about it, beyond anything Don Corleone ever did uh, in The Godfather, or Michael Corleone ever did in The Godfather. It's just i th- I think he's really influenced, but it's clear he's been influenced by mobster movies and wrestling and Roy Cohen. I think those are maybe the three biggest influences uh in his life uh and um I think there's a lot of Americans they enjoy that they like that uh the the notion of the outlaw who defies the law and gets away with it uh has it rings, it's something that rings true to a lot of Americans. They want to believe in that. They want to follow that person. They want to be an outlaw. They don't want to have to follow the rules. Your thoughts about this?
2: Well, yeah, it helps to start from the perspective that you have to be a person who just doesn't care. You don't have any ethics in the first place. So that helps. That's an enormous, I think we've actually had this conversation in that, that's kind of like his superpower. That dishonesty being honest, being ethical, being decent, being moral are not constraints for him. So that makes it a lot easier to do the rest of this stuff. but if you're if you're like a cultural uh, student of the United States, uh, you know, pop culture, movies, music for the last fifty years, those lessons are there for you. if you were if you were like an alien studying American culture, trying to decide how you could sort of hack American culture and and dial into getting your own fan base. Being a tough guy, saying what's on your mind and just kind of going for it, thumbing your nose at authority, this has been building for a long time. Things that were kind of re- seen as rebellious or edgy back in the 50s and 60s are quaint at this point, but it had to build up. You know, the the cultural ch- evolution post World War II, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, it's all been about like some growing element of braggadocio. Being a tough guy, sticking it to the man—you um, know, I've, I've I've watched some of the '70s movies where essentially it's an indictment of the bureaucratic machine just being just stifling to human nature and to liberty and just driving you crazy. And the system just isn't—it just doesn't work. Uh, so saying "f you" to the system and being the outsider is is appealing. I mean, we've we've even in the more staid. Um, realm of presidential politics being seen as an outsider and not an insider has been like the desperate goal of how many presidential campaigns for the last twenty five years. I mean, th- I think the only reason why Joe Biden finally became a nominee and won after running for president at least three or four prior times was because he came along at just the right time at the end of his because he's you never heard him claim that he was an outsider. It would have been ridiculous. He'd been in Washington for 50 years and Delaware is really close to Washington. So even geographically, he's just right there. And he's been in the heart of so many things that have happened in the Senate since the late 80s. So that never would have made any sense. But that was something that Barack Obama was appealing for that reason. George W. Bush was appealing for that reason. A man from Hope, Arkansas was appealing for that reason. Donald Trump was supposedly the ultimate outsider and he claimed to be that even though he was anything but he'd been giving money to people like Bill Clinton for 30 years to try to curry favor with politicians like he envisions businessmen are supposed to do but the the notion of well gee is pro wrestling popular in the United States yeah I mean it's it's very popular and those characters if he was listening to Vince McMahon which you know he does and he has and he appointed his wife to commerce secretary, if I'm not mistaken. And he was on WWE programming as whatever weird television character that Donald Trump can be. Um, the lessons he learned was you can also do that heel turn and be even more popular with people. Yeah. They like the asshole. He yeah. likes being the asshole. I mean, we, we've seen it and, and I've heard you remark upon it recently when you're kind of comparing him to the rest of the Republican field he is entertaining it doesn't even if you're disgusted by him there is an entertainment quality to it that is undeniable it's not good but it's true and he knows how to work an audience he can be grotesque and yet they're kind of laughing along with him because he's such a clown but this goes back to the the fundamental thing like you can't do any of this if you have any morals ethics character or commitment to being an honest person you can't if you're willing to debase yourself which clearly he is, he pretends like he cares when people insult him, but I don't think he cares. Yeah. I think any publicity is publicity, and that's all he wants. So, yeah, there unfortunately, there is a cult following that's that will not see the things that are dangerous about him because all they see are him thumbing his nose at a system that they, you know, they don't really what are the, what's in it the system for them? You know, a bunch of liberal liberal Democrats like you or I could sit around and talk about how the merits of the Constitution and the virtues of an, an orderly society. And, hey, if you like the the economy and the way that's working, well, that only works if you have rules and order. And one yeah. of the reasons America's economy has become the largest in the world is because we have stability. But if you just have like kind of a marginal job or even a decent job and you've been hosed a few times or you're even a business owner and you're kind of successful, but you hate the government because of the IRS did something or you got regulated in some way then it's easy to then embrace the guy who just says fuck it all i don't even care and and you guys can ride my coattails and and even this preposterous nonsense about how i'm being prosecuted and let's be honest persecuted for all of you it's it's complete bullshit yeah But, (laughs) but they like it when they hear it and they they believe it. You hear it and you think, my God, I can't believe he's doing this. And I hear it and I think, wow, this, this, I can't believe this would work. And yet it does work. At no, least, I, I, it is a dwindling number of people, but, uh, and I think Monroe Anderson, I heard your show yesterday made a really important point. The audience really won't grow anymore. It's like yeah. those polling numbers where you figure out like, well, hey, th- what's the likability of this candidate versus what's their name recognition? And until people really know who they are, maybe they haven't formed a really strong opinion. Yeah, everybody knows who he is so there's no there's no growth opportunity but the intensity may still be growing for those who are still in the cult
1: oh man that was a great ref uh so much respond uh yes um he's the ultimate insider i just i wrote this down when you were at that part of your riff i i just i mean i'm smiling at it the way he played chicago so Chicago's not his base of operation, but he has the, the one property in Chicago. He played Chicago. He came to Chicago, figured it out, and just played the people in Chicago. A donation to Mayor Rahm, all of a sudden he gets a sign. He gets his name. Nobody else has anything remotely like that. It's so grotesque. It violates just like every freaking norm of what, how we regulate zoning. He's got his name there. By the way, he also gave money to Mayor Rahm. You know, by the way, he's also pals with Mayor Rahm's brother, was his agent for a while. So he like, oh, I figure Chicago out. Just give a donation to Mayor Rahm. I got it. And then when he gets when he wants to appeal his property tax, who does he hire? Ed Burke.
2: That's, <laughs> Suddenly, that's the ultimate Chicago insider move. He knows he knows where those buttons are.
1: Yeah. He hires Ed Burke, ladies and gentlemen. 14th Ward in you remember him, former 14th Ward Allard. So he knows how to play the system. Finance chair, remember him? Mayor Daly's finance chair, Mayor Rahm's finance chair. Yeah, the guy, that Ed Burke, the one the city council gave a standing ovation to when he left one step ahead of his own federal indictment, that Ed Burke. So you're absolutely correct. He's the ultimate insider, and then he just shifts out of the insider role, having been beneficiary of all these breaks uh, and he just says he's a victim. There's a sob story in the front page of the New York Times, which I was thinking of leading with this show, uh, Jim, but I decided to go with the sob story for the business community instead. How so many people sob so much who are so powerful and have so much, Jim, I just truly don't understand. Uh-huh. But there's a sob story from Trump. Uh, apparently, the um, the feds were looking at, uh, they got a warrant to read his Twitter uh, uh his twitter account so like i guess private messages etc and so forth uh they had access to uh and he was sobbing about that and what an intrusion it was and it's like, all you do is freaking cry man and i know some uh, maga person will uh go along with it uh go yeah he's a victim all right uh you mentioned this take a deep dive in this two-tiered system of justice i can it is it is laughable that Donald Trump is claiming uh, he's the victim. Oh, God. The man who hired Ed Burke as his property tax lawyer is the victim of a two-tiered uh, system of justice. But um, that's his accusation, and MAGA's picking it up and echoing it uh, like MAGA does, uh, like the little puppets they are. Uh, your thoughts, Jim, on the notion of a two-tiered system of justice?
2: Every possible break. Now, I... I I think it's the right thing that Jack Smith has been very pragmatic, very calculating and very deliberate in the way that he's put all this together. But even the justice systems moves up to this point, they have given him every possible break. Mm -hmm. The national archives efforts to retrieve documents that were rightfully theirs. He was given every possible break. And then when they, he essentially calls their bluff I don't think that this will actually happen. I can't believe that anybody will actually call me on this. And then they very politely come over there with a search warrant, and he screams and yells about a raid, right? So that's, and that that was just the prelude to the documents case, where <clears throat> before that time, uh, you know, he gets the, the fight over those documents that now you talk about two different things at this point. So before we even had the indictment for the criminal retention of those documents, he is fighting over whether or not the documents have to be turned over in the first place. And he gets a judge that he appointed to improperly insert herself into a criminal prosecution where a criminal procedure requires that if you have a proper warrant, you get the documents, you get the records, you get the phones, you get the tapes. And then if it was improperly seized, if that warrant didn't have a good basis to it, they call that an exclusionary hearing. They call that a pretrial hearing depends on what venue we're talking about. But that would be the proper place for his defense attorneys to say, the government shouldn't be using that evidence against my client. Not, we're appointing a special master for you. So he's always gotten every possible break along the the way in each one of these prosecutions. And again, there is a reason for that. It's not just because he's a popular political figure. It's because you can't get these prosecutions wrong. And and the other aspect of it that people need to keep in mind, and look, there are lots of reasons to feel doubt about this, but prosecutors, federal or state prosecutors, they are supposed to get to the point where their evidence in their hands proves that case beyond a reasonable doubt. Like we've seen bad prosecutions. So there's reasons why you're thinking, well, gee, do they really hold themselves to that standard because this poor guy was in jail for 20 years and it turns out that it was an improper false confession, et cetera, et cetera. But That's the way it's supposed to be done. Gather that evidence. Make sure you've gotten all buttoned up. So they haven't abused him. He hasn't been he wasn't even forced to be submitted to the same kind of pretrial processing in New York. Uh, You know, everybody's kind of treating him with at least some level of respect that he doesn't really warrant at this point um he's allowed to fly in and out of these things on his private jet you know it's not like he's sitting in a holding cell somewhere (laughs) no and keep in mind let's not forget you know i I know that there's a false controversy over this but at the capitol building on january 6 2021 people were severely injured some of those cops of the police Capitol police have committed suicide some died after the fact. Some were maimed in ways that will not be changed. You know, it's, 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 I'm, I work in the personal injury world. My clients are injured in some fashion. You read news reports and, and you see something like a car crash, and one person was critically injured, the others weren't serious. Well, not serious could involve like a knee replacement, not serious could involve back surgery, and the person's just never going to be the same again. Those people were all injured in service of what? A false claim that he made and let his minions spread to the ends of the earth to try to incite those people. Remember, be there tomorrow. We'll be wild was his tweet before he got shut down on Twitter until his buddy bought Twitter and put him back on. Um, These are the real human consequences of his actions. That's not the, I mean, to me, that's not the kind of person who deserves special treatment. And yet there's some kid who's going to get thrown into lockup tonight on specious charges in Chicago and probably get let out tomorrow, but he'll miss school because of it or get fired because of it. And nobody gave him any special treatment. So the two-tiered system of justice is inverted. And just like you started the show talking about, by the way, this is this is full circle for you folks out there. I'm learning how to be a podcast host. <laughs> um, ben talked about working the refs, all the whining and crying about how, oh, this wouldn't happen to me if I wasn't being a victim of the weaponization of the justice department. No, it's the opposite. There's a lot of other people who are at the sharp end of that justice stick. and He's not he's not getting that kind of treatment. Instead, he's being treated very, very gently. Yeah. But like you said, it doesn't matter if the defender's hand even brushes or even gets like a few molecules of his face as it wipes by. He's still going to scream and yell about it. And that's been his game since the 70s. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, all right so we'll close with this the argument for special treatment uh, that was a quote from uh, uh, your last uh, statements and i sent you this essay uh, that ran in the new york times today i don't know if you had a chance to read it uh it's by jack goldsmith a harvard law professor and a senior fellow at the harvard institute he's he wrote a book that i um urged listeners to read uh it was called In Hoffa's a Shadow, and it tells the story about his his stepfather, Chucky e. O'Brien, uh, who was an aide to Jimmy Hoffa. It tells the whole story about the federal FBI's investigation of Hoffa, Robert Kennedy's obsession with Hoffa. It's a fascinating book uh, from the perspective of of a real civil libertarian, if you will. Uh, and uh, I urge everybody to read it. I reached out to Jack Goldsmith just for the record. Uh, Jim, he never got back to me. I don't hold a grudge, Goldsmith, okay? I do not hold a grudge. He didn't even respond. Yeah, I put that out there. Maybe i will hear this, Jim, and uh, come on the show. Uh, but he wrote an essay, in a sense, uh, in the New York Times. The prosecution of Trump may have terrible consequences, uh, and the theme of the essay, even though he doesn't come right out and say it, Uh, is effectively an argument for special treatment uh, that the blowback impact of uh, Donald Trump's prosecution by the Justice Department uh, will turn so many people against the Justice Department, will turn so many people against the Biden administration, the Democratic Party, all the people who at various times have stood up to Donald Trump, uh, that it is... The bad will outweigh whatever quote-unquote good um, that comes from prosecuting Trump. So he doesn't, like, come out and say it. Uh, Jack Goldsmith, come on, you kind of pulled your punch there. You should have come out and said it, in my humble opinion. You got to take a stand. Take a freaking stand, okay? Don't beat around the bush. But he doesn't come out and say it, but he sort of suggests that that maybe me wasn't the smart for uh, the country to prosecute Trump. In other words, you know, remember that old saying, Jim, that some banks are too big to fail. So Donald Trump and his movement is too big to be indicted. So Donald Trump could be free to do whatever he wants, defy any law, (laughs) lead an insurrection, if that's what it counts. But But because so many people will be upset, By any attempt to punish him for whatever he does, we should just let him get away with it uh, because we don't want to upset that portion of the population. That essentially is the Jack Goldsmith argument is put forth in the New York Times. Your thoughts about the Jack Goldsmith argument.
2: So if you develop a big enough political following, you could just commit crimes. That's the that's really what it distills to, Um, you know, there. I have a few things to say about this, but I do have to ask you a trivia question if you know the answer to this. Do you know when or why the Justice Department was created in the first place?
1: No, I do not know.
2: (laughs) It was 1870. That's when they first started, okay? Now, what was happening in the United States in 1870? I'm giving you that context. So the notion that the enforcement of justice could somehow be so impartial as to be beyond partisan politics or never be falsely mischaracterized as partisan. And by the way, if you read uh, Goldsmith's piece, he continuously goes through the he qualifies so many things that he's saying absolutely. Like, well, this may be justified. and these crimes may have happened. he's he's not even really contesting them on the merits he's admitting that these are real yeah. things that probably should be prosecuted but yeah. uh the notion that it could be beyond that or that a, a justice department that is the um prosecutorial uh sledgehammer of the federal government wouldn't would either a never be misused because it could it just can regardless of what they do now someone could always do that in the future or b that it could never be falsely interpreted as being misused or that it was never Controversial in the first place is all nonsense, because I guarantee that every every citizen who still believed that they were part of the old South and weren't happy about being forcibly reunited with the North, wasn't happy about Justice Department lawyers coming down to Mississippi or Georgia and enforcing rights in favor of newly freed slaves that they used to treat as chattel property a couple of weeks before that, or six and a half years before that. By that point in time, so. This is an institution that clearly, and I give them credit for this, strives to create the impression that they are as apolitical as they possibly can be for good reason. But I have to say this. I am in the camp with august constitutional scholars like Neil Katyal, who I enjoy listening to and watching, and a lot of other people that say, and frankly, I would say I'm in the camp with James Madison on this. If the United States Constitution and the government that embodies it chooses not to enforce and protect itself enforce its own laws and prosecute someone for coming right at it then it's already lost yeah i don't i don't understand like if you could ask goldsmith to take this a step further how he thinks this plays out if they refrain from prosecution simply by some i think vague and misplaced principle of well you don't want to look like you're you're playing favorites well the guy just shot somebody on Fifth Avenue, should we arrest him? I mean, I don't know, he's got a lot of political following. What what do we do here? The reality is, the system itself, this is how I would set this up. Right now in each of these criminal prosecutions in DC and in Florida, but DC is really the heart of it now. It's the United States versus Donald Trump. That's what it says in the caption of the case. He's being indicted for defrauding the United States. He has come at the whole United States. Even if some of those people like him and rooted for him to do it, the constitutional structure itself is what he's coming at. So if that constitutional structure just chose to not be a structure and didn't enforce its own laws, then it may as well just cease to exist. I think that's the end of the Constitution when that happens. We only do anything in light of it and invoke it to justify our actions, to justify laws that we pass, to put people in jail, to not put people in jail, because we believe in a document. It's still, a, it's a it's a human concept. It's, it's just a piece of paper. It's not gonna jump out of that box and like grab somebody and hold them under arrest or stop the government from arresting somebody improperly. It's only because we believe in it. Mm-hmm. And that includes Merrick Garland and includes Jack Smith and it includes the rest of us having the spine to stand up and say, you know what, we choose to continue to have the American system with all its flaws, but we need to enforce those laws against people who would choose to subvert the entire system for personal gain, because otherwise it's worthless. It, it really would be an admission that it's not worth saving in the first place.
1: Yeah, or they're too scared to make the effort. They're too well, afraid. That
2: the people in charge shouldn't be in charge because if they're too scared, they're the wrong general in, in a war. You know, they're yeah. they're not a wartime general under yeah. those circumstances because that's what that's what's happening right now. Yeah.
1: No, is uh, uh he, he, yeah. You can't be scared, uh, because uh Donald Trump is gonna come at you. And this, by the way, so uh, to all the Republican uh candidates for president who are avid listeners of this show, this applies to you too. <laughs> You can't be scared. But how do you you
2: don't fight a bully by letting him get his way? No. I don't, well, I mean, that's obviously yeah. they haven't figured that out. But
1: so uh, we'll close with this. Ultimately, the, the decision, the jury for this matter will be uh, the electorate in November 2024. I still believe Trump will be the nominee. And I believe he'll run against uh, Joe Biden uh, as a Democratic nominee. And as I said yesterday, Joe Biden will be completely irrelevant in that election. It's all about Donald Trump and whether uh, the the electorate is willing for a, a second time, Jim, a second time to say no. Uh, I believe they will say no. You know, I mean, a lot could happen between then and there, but that's where I'm standing uh, right now. So ultimately, every issue uh, that you're talking about every issue that Jack Goldsmith is is talking about uh, will be settled by the American people, and whether they want Donald Trump to get back into power so we could double down on what he tried to do the first time. Y- you know, Jim, it's just like these elections get more, more and more intense, more and more important. Twenty twenty four is even more important than twenty twenty. You could argue anyway all right enough law talk today enough political talk today jim one more time close by telling folks the name of your podcast and we'll close it down for today go ahead
2: yeah thank you ben it was great to chat with you as always and uh for all you wonderful people who listen to this great podcast check out coogan knows the law c-o-o-g-a-n you can find it all the places that you find this great show check it out we're going to be rolling things out every week
1: and uh, anybody out there is dreaming of doing a podcast thinks they got something to say I urge you to give my old friend, uh, Dr. D, and producer Chris, either one of them, a call because they're exceptional producers and they can really help you get started as they help Jim get started. Dr. D and producer Chris. All right, Jim, thank you so much. Appreciate you taking the time to talk to me as always. Uh, And your assignment uh, will be to be watching uh, The Good Fight and The Lincoln Lawyer. So get to work, young man. Uh, Uh you'll I think you'll really get a kick out of both shows, particularly the good fight. Uh, I want to also want to thank Producer Chris for doing an outstanding job as he always does. Hey, producer Chris, give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Take care, everybody. And
0: remember, you can always download previous Ben Jurofsky shows, get Benny J bonus interviews, and a whole lot more, all at Chicagoreader.com. Follow Ben Jirofsky on Instagram at Benny J Show and like and subscribe to The Ben Jarofsky Show on your favorite streaming and podcasting platforms.